0: Good morning, how are we? Good, good to hear. Um, If you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue our series in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 24 to 29 uh, this morning. We've been in a series called The Lord of Everything because Jesus is the Lord of Everything and and Colossians really brings that out very clearly. And uh, before we start, before I read the scriptures, I I just want to say one thing is um, I love this weather, Uh, spring is here or whatever season we're calling this. Um, but for us allergy sufferers, it's not great. Apparently the pollen levels are really high. I'm not even sure what that means. But, um, but for me, it means a lot of snotting and coughing and throat situations. And, um, and so if I go to my pocket and wipe my nose many times during the sermon, I apologize. Hopefully it's not a stumbling block to you. If I cough, I apologize. Uh, but, but maybe by God's grace, he'll help me through this. So um, I'm not a martyr. I'm not suffering. It's just it is what it is. Um, but it's just the realities of nice weather. Uh, I didn't have this in Southern California, so I don't know. Maybe God's calling me to somewhere warmer. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll pray about it. Thank you. Um, But uh, so uh, if you have a Bible, Colossians uh, chapter one, we're going to finish up chapter one. Finally. All right. Um, I can see you're all excited about that. Thank you. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And this is the word of God for us this morning. Why don't we pray and ask for God's help. Lord, we we just pray now as we open your word. Um, that you're a speaking God and so we want to be hearers of your word this morning and we also want to be doers. So illuminate our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear and receive and respond uh, as you see fit. So help us now in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, uh, t- 2004, I believe, was the first year I was in in seminary, and I remember one of the first classes I took in seminary was a church history class. And I remember, for whatever reason, I'm not sure why I was in the church history class, but we were having a conversation or a debate or and maybe an argument over the job description of a pastor and what are. Our- a very smart church history prof was saying was, you know, it's really hard to define what the job description is of a pastor. What what are they supposed to do? We don't have it maybe clearly laid out in the scriptures. Uh, maybe we have bits and pieces, but what what is the the essence, the tenets of uh, the pastor, and what is his job? What is he to do every day? Is he a, a, just a glorified social worker with a Bible? Is he an administrator? Uh, is he just a preacher? Is he you know what what is he what does he do? What does that look like? in those kinds of things. And, and it was a very interesting conversation because I don't know if I, up to that point, had really thought about that. You know, you, you maybe if you grew up in the church or around the church, you kind of go, well, I guess he, he, a pastor just does that. I don't whatever that is. We see him doing his thing or or elders or, or whatever it may be. It, apparently, he only works on Sundays. It's a pretty good gig, I guess, if you can get it. Um, and so maybe there should be more, more pastors. Um, but one of the texts that kept coming back to me and being young and naive and arrogant and thought I knew more than I did was I'd... Constantly came back to Colossians 1, Um, especially the end of Colossians 1 and 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Um, That if anything, I I understood that maybe uh, for Apostle Paul, the pattern that he was laying out for the church, for churches to come, as he's planting these churches, he's saying, hey, follow my example. And he constantly says that. Follow my example. This is what I was about. I was about Christ. I was about this gospel good news, this gospel grace of of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. If anything, be about these, these things. And so this morning, what we're going to look at uh, from Paul is his job description. But I, but I think what's woven so tightly into Paul's job description as an apostle is a pattern for, I think, every church and every time and every place for all of eternity until Christ returns. That, that what he's laying out, and it's constantly, or I should say, in other books of the Bible, he's, he's constantly saying, follow my example, imitate me, this is what I did. Because the message that he was called to carry and proclaim, the gospel of Jesus Christ was not his. He didn't own it, as we'll see in just, just a moment here. It was something that was given to him on loan. It wasn't something he made up. It wasn't something that he, he reasoned out or had a, a experience of. It was actually when, when God redeemed him on the Damascus Road that he said, this is the message that I must go and proclaim to the ends of the earth. And so this morning we're going to look at what is, I think, a, a healthy picture of what I'm going to call gospel leadership or gospel ministry, spiritual leadership in the church And and, and what does it look like, and can we spot it when we see it? Are there certain things that need to be present for it to be authenticated and legitimate, or does it not really matter? And so let's look at that together. So first, I'd say from our text is that gospel leadership is about service. It's about service. Now, where do I get that from? Well, last week at the end of Colossians uh, 23, Notice what Paul says at the end of 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, here it is, became a minister. Interesting word. Maybe you've heard that, been around the church. You know, here's our minister. I actually don't like that word. I just think it makes you, I don't know, There's wear different clothing. I don't know. It just has a weird connotation. But... But notice how he uses that word again, minister. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of this body that is in the church, of which I became a minister. So what does Paul think of when he thinks of being a minister, a guy who wears a clerical collar, wears a three-piece suit, right? Always jovial, you know? Um, maybe heavyset. No, that's, that's not nice. Um, well, what does that mean? Well, the word minister in the, the Greek actually means a servant. He said, I became a, a servant of the gospel. He uses that word all the time, all over his different letters. He, you know, this I this minister is a great word, but I think servant gets to the heart of what he's saying. I became a, a servant. Minister equals service. But you see, the service has a particular aim and has a particular location. So, what is the, the aim of the service? What is the, the location? What do, what do I mean? Well, what did Paul become a servant of? Well, one, he's making very clear it's the gospel. Verse 23. Um, As he said, he said, under heaven of which I, Paul, became a gospel, this hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation, this good news of grace, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. That's what I'm a servant of. I don't have another message. I don't have another game in town. I don't make anything else up. I don't have any other stick to share with you. This is the only thing I know. So I'm a minister. I'm a servant of this good news. It's what I'm to share with the church. It's what I'm to use to build it up and make it healthy, to to help them grow up in the faith. Now, notice what he says in verse 25, because I think this is significant. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, the church, to make the word of God fully known. This is a beautiful word, stewardship. It's this idea of, of he's essentially saying I'm a manager, I'm an administrator. You could say he's a manager or administrator of a family or of a household. So this message that he was given was actually given on, in Acts, 20, Acts 29. In Acts 9, there is no 29, if you didn't know that. Um, but Acts 9, when Paul is converted on the Damascus road, Jesus shows up and says, hey, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Oh, Lord, I didn't even know I was. He was killing Christians. He didn't want anything to do with the faith. And yet Jesus blows him up, says, no, and I have a mission for you, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's why when, when Paul shows up in the town, they're like, wait, wait, that that guy? Wait, the one who hated Christians? Like, what, what's he doing? Right? They're always skeptical. It can't be that guy. I mean, we saw him. We, we saw him at the, the, the stoning of Stephen. We saw him throwing people in jail. We, we saw what his life was like. What, what, what is this about? But you see, God came to him and said, now you're going to be a steward of this good news of grace. It's not yours to own. It's not yours to give your opinion about. It's been revealed to you by Jesus himself. And so the message is is something that he's going to serve God's people with. And, and you, you know, there's a weird thing that happens for pastors is, is there's a great freedom there and there's a great weight there. The, the, the freedom is that I don't have to make anything up. I, I don't have to go, you know, we've got to figure something else. I mean, the good, you know, his life is death. I mean, that's good stuff. But, like, you know, there's got to be something more edgy out there. There's got to be something that's really going to reach the kids. Right? It's all about reaching the kids. I need to reference Facebook more often. I think that's what's going to do it. Right? We need to have more videos. If we just have more video, that's going to do it. Right? So, so we play these games and we say there's got to be something else, but Paul didn't see his ministry as that. He said there's a, a stewardship of this good news, and it's not mine to manipulate. It's not mine to tweak. It's not mine to, to add to, but it's simply mine to proclaim and say come and, and, and enjoy the mercies and grace of Christ. Come, make him your treasure. Make him your everything, as the Presbyterian Confession says, the Westminster Confession, that why does man exist? To what? Amy knows this. Glorify God. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? To, to invite people into that. So, so, so Paul saw his service as a minister to minister to the gospel and the word of God. But notice what else he also said, the location. There's a very specific location. He, he's not, he doesn't see himself as Billy Graham. In other words, nothing against Billy Graham, but, you know, Billy Graham's ministry, he was a, a, a evangelist, but he wasn't a preacher in a local church, never pastored a church, never preached, he preached in churches, but, but he had, you know, mass crusades, right? But Paul's vision and Paul's missionary heart always revolved around not only the proclaiming of the good news of the gospel so that people could come in and know Jesus and become his disciples and mature in him, but it was always in the forming of local churches, where this gospel reality would be lived out together in real time and real space. He was not a, a mass uh, evangelist just picking people off individuals and giving them a New Testament and going, I mean, they didn't have them there. Here's your you know ESV, go, good luck, hopefully it goes well for you. It was always in the context of the local Church, you know, see that in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, the church, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That he's going through all this pain, he's going through all this affliction, all this suffering. Remember, uh, this is a, a prison letter. So Paul is writing these letters to this church to encourage it and build it up with chains on his hands and cha- shackles on his feet. I'm I'm willing to go be in prison. I'm willing to to suffer. I'm willing to get beaten. I'm I'm willing to be ostracized. I'm willing to be abandoned. I'm willing to be misunderstood for what? For the sake of the church, God's people, that they would be built up, that they would be encouraged, that they would know this Christ, this this gospel. So so Paul, when he thinks about gospel leadership and service, he sees it making these two um, directions. And, And one is... He's a servant of the gospel, he's a servant of the word, but he's also a servant very specifically to God and his people in a local church, a community of faith. I love this quote I I found this week from R.C. Lucas. He was a a pastor long ago, I think in the UK. He says this, For it is precisely, precisely by teaching the word of God that the church of God is to be served. It is by the truth of the gospel that the church is formed, sustained, and equipped. Without a satisfactory ministry of the word, the church must either wither and die or assume more or less grotesque grotesque forms. So he's saying it's, it's the essential that the gospel and the word of God are primary, that preaches and proclaims this Christ, or the church has no chance. It will wither and die. It will be weak and anemic. It will limp along, and I've seen it in my short little life on earth time and time again where churches forsake the good news of Christ. They forsake the word of God and go, we need to reach people, so we're going to throw all that junk aside, and we're going to do this and this and this, whatever this and this and this may be, and and the church just closes in on itself, and there's no health, and there's no vitality because Jesus is the head of the church. And so if we proclaim him and we proclaim his life and his death and resurrection, he has room to work by his spirit that it's about him. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. I am not. Because it was always for Paul and it always was for the apostles and in every generation, it's always about handing down this stewardship, this faith that was passed along. And it's the same faith from generation to generation and if it's not, the church will wither and die. Because if it's not about Christ, it's about something else. It's His church. It's His gospel. It's His word that He's given, even me, a pastor, and, and our elders, and, and even you, as you go out into the world as a priesthood of all believers. Like that's the message, right? You don't have to make anything up. It's not, you know, the message of Adam. Okay, let me tell you about my testimony, and how I came to Christ. That can be powerful, but in the end, it's about pointing them to the message of Christ and what He's done on our behalf and how He has changed our lives. Now, throughout the scriptures, we have a lot of different ministry, or excuse me, I should say, examples of word and gospel ministry that I think is important. And, and, and it's important because I want you to see how it actually functions. And let me just give you a couple examples that, that the word and gospel um, Centered ministry is a primary task for the church. Paul says that other places too. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, I've referenced this a million times, but 1 Corinthians 15. The great resurrection chapter, he says, Now to remind you, brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He, he's just saying, hey, this is the gospel that I preach. I want to remind you of the good news, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. You received it. You're believing it. You're trusting in it. You're standing in it like a, a battle's going on around you, but you're, you're holding fast. That's what this language has. And as you believe and as you're trusting in this Christ and what he's done, it's building you up, it's establishing you, it's changing you. But don't move from it. It's saving you now and into the future. Don't move from it. For I deliver to you of first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas 10 to the 12, and then, to, uh, then he appeared to more than 500, and then he appeared to Paul. So he's saying, this is of first importance. You have a lot of things, pastor. You have a lot of things, Christians. You can be about in the church, but of first importance, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's, let's wither it down. There's a, a long job description for pastors, but let's, let's shrink it down and say, this has to be of first importance. Now, very significantly, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians here. I don't know if you know about 1 Corinthians or the church in Corinth, but let me tell you, it was wild, and I say that very mildly. Division, immorality, all kinds of struggle going on in this church, And what I find so breathtaking is that when you get to the end of 1 Corinthians, here's Paul. He's addressing the church and saying, you're still God's people. I know it's a mess. I know there's division. I know there's immorality. But I want to tell you, don't leave this. Don't leave your story. Don't leave the thing that grounds you. If you leave that, you lose everything because this informs all that other stuff. It's going to speak into all the other things and why you have gone down this road. Don't miss it. This is your story of origin, and it's going to ground you. It's a gospel of first importance. Now, in other places, it's going to talk about gospel and word ministry for equipping, for equipping. You remember in First Timothy, if you remember the um, great verse, uh, excuse me, great text in First Timothy three. <clears throat> Did I say 1 Timothy. Did I mean 2 Timothy. I meant second. First Timothy three is good too, but uh, Second Timothy three for our purposes are, is better. So First Second Timothy three verse ten, um, Paul is speaking to his pastoral protege Timothy, and he's encouraging him and saying, "Here's the job description of a pastor. Don't don't mess this up. This is where you need to go. This is where you need to be about." He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. I love that. He's just saying, also, you you know the message I preach, but also look at my life, my faith, my patience, my love. This is genuine. This is real. You, You saw me do this among you. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, this is interesting because Paul's talking to Timothy. And Timothy grew up from his his great-grandmother Lois, knew the word very well, handed it down to Timothy. He he was a Jewish man who knew the scriptures probably from the beginning of, of his little life. And he's saying, even as you get older, even when ministry gets really hard and there's all kinds of weird stuff being thrown at you and all kinds of weird teaching and every temptation to say, you know what, the church just isn't growing. Maybe we need a different message. When all those temptations are flying at you, stay here. Stay grounded. And the famous verse we know of is in 16, all scriptures breathed out by God profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training and righteousness use the word of God for all of these things to correct to build up to equip the saints for the work of ministry it's all there you have everything you need you don't even have to read a Tim Keller book it's all there nothing wrong with Tim Keller but it's it's here You have the power that you need. You have the resources you need. And and I don't know how the early church did, did it without John Piper or Tim Keller. I just don't know how they did it. I don't know how they were faithful. I mean, they just had the word of God and like faith and prayer. I mean, sheesh, how boring. You sense my facetious tone. But... But but that's the point it's for equipping it's for for it has all the things that we need to keep the church healthy and strong and and see it grow and thrive and be everything that God would want it to be. And then he goes a few more verses in in chapter 4, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged, the living and the dead. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that's, you know, this is a great example of why I think the scriptures are so irrelevant. Because we live in a day where no one has itchy ears. I mean, everybody loves solid Bible, gospel, grace teaching. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. We're not very, we're not laughing, are we? I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, he's saying yeah, just the temptation is real, Ryan. The temptation is real, Timothy. The temptation of Zinni Pastor is that, you know, think up something new. Get, get, get real creative, right? It's not to say don't be creative. It's not to say don't use different words. It's not to say don't apply it in your context. We're not saying that, but the truth of God is here for us for all times and all places. But there's going to be a lot of people that are going to kind of go, yeah, I don't, I don't really like that. I don't like the whole sin stuff. I don't like the wrath stuff. I don't. I don't. I don't want to hear that. But it's it's there for us to help us thrive. It's there for us to honor God. It's it, it's to, to abandon that is to abandon health on all levels. There's also, I think, it's important that we understand is when this gospel and word is is being received and walked in and taught and preached and 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 understood, is that there's 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 a vitality, there's signs of health health that we can see. Paul says in Second Thessalonians, we preached to this a while back, but in Second Thessalonians, if I can find it. Sorry, I lost my place here. 2 Thessalonians 3. He says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So so Paul's prayer in in 2 Thessalonians is that the word of God would would just go forward. It would just speed ahead. It would get into the lives of more and more people. And he says, but do you notice how he makes it personal? Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. That that's part of becoming a Christian. That the word of God, the gospel is, is honored, it's cherished. It doesn't mean you have to know all that much about it. Right? I mean, that's some of our stories. When you believed in Christ, you're just like, I, I don't know a whole lot. I just know he died for me. He He, he forgave me my sins. I'm trusting in him. That, beyond that, I don't know much else. That's why I love young believers, new believers that have so much so much um, passion for the gospel. They're like, I don't know. I, I don't even know where Colossians is, but I know that Jesus loves me, and I want to tell you about him. But that's part of it it's embracing this going I don't understand all this bible stuff that you know Leviticus is really confusing I don't know where certain books are I don't know what this verse means I don't know what these commands mean but I am honoring this word because I know that God has spoken and revealed himself through these texts and I want to listen to him and I want to honor him. And I want to delight in him. I want to cherish this word. I want to memorize. It. I want to meditate on it. I want to apply it to my life. I want to tell others about it. I want to teach others whatever that may look like. But that's evidence that God's power and God's work is evident. It's there. It's because this word is, is honored. It's cherished. We want to see it go forward and spread because we know it is in life. There's life. So gospel leadership is about service to the word and to God's people. Now, two little more caveats before we go to the next one here. But he also says very specifically, but what is the aim of that? What is the goal of that? Because I have said, yes, that we want the the gospel. It's about the gospel, the word. That's part of his job description. He's going to serve that. He's going to serve in the context of a local church. But he gets even more specific. I don't know if you caught it. Two little phrases. One is, if you go back to Colossians, which I should do. In verse 25, at the end of 25, to make the word of God fully known. And then the second aim is in verse 28, to present everyone mature in Christ. So so the whole counsel of the scriptures is what Paul is after here. That's a little bit of what he's doing in, in verses 15 to 20. This reconciling Christ, this cross, this resurrection, all the implications of this peace with God that comes. And we, we remember in Acts chapter 20, he's addressing the Ephesian elders and he's saying, hey, there's no blood on my hands. I was with you. I taught the whole counsel of God. I preached to you the kingdom of God. I preached to you the cross and all these beautiful things. I did not bow down. Uh, I did not shrink back from those things. Because I want you to know the gospel and all of its implications for your life, for your marriage, for your parenting, for work on Monday, and what the cross says and what the resurrection says. He spent weeks and sometimes even years with churches when he planted a church and he would make sure they were built up and understood all the whole counsel of God. And that's what we're called to as pastors too. But he also says, it's also to... Help people become fully mature, perfect. Now, we don't believe in a perfectionist gospel. We don't believe there's any perfection on this side of heaven. And what I mean is that you'll no longer sin or somehow realize some perfect state of spiritual wholeness. But I think what perfection and maturity has from the scriptures, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as my father is perfect. I think it's in a, I say it this way, it's an advanced stage of spiritual development acquired through experience, teaching, prayer, time, and grace. I think the scriptures do talk about immature and mature Christians. They're both Christians. Welcome to the church. Why do you think we have problems in the church? And it's not just because of the immature Christians. It's the mature ones that think they're mature, but they're not. Like, wherever we come in the streams of grace, because the immature basically says, I just haven't had the teaching, I haven't had the time, I haven't sat with the implications of this, so I'm going to continue to make a mess of things. But the maturity is, a little bit what the Hebrew, writer in Hebrew says in, in uh, Hebrews 5.11, is that, that some of you were not ready for the solid meat yet. You're still sucking on the bottle. Anybody have kids? Nobody gives their kid a steak out of the womb. That'd be child abuse. As much as I had that temptation, just like, hey, we need to start them young, babe. I mean, these are men. We need to grow them. They need to love meat. When can we start that? Well, honey, they need, like, teeth and be able to swallow, you know, whatever. Whatever. But, but it's a great analogy, isn't it? Right? You don't start them there. They start on the milk, right? They just kind of ease it in. Okay, what is going on here? Who is this Jesus? What does this mean? How do I live my, my life? But he says, but the immature, instead of just living, they just keep living on the bottle. They're, they're not ready to become teachers and be able to explain to other people what this all means. A sign of maturity. They haven't connected the dots yet. And that's why we have to be patient with one another because we're all in different places. We're all different streams. That doesn't mean one group's a Christian and one group's a not. Like this whole thing, this like theology of carnal and whatever is so not biblical and weird. It makes two divisions in the church. No, but we can, we can embrace the reality that that's just where we are. Right. I mean, you've seen it. You might be in this room. You come to Christ. You're excited about Jesus. You're telling everyone about Jesus. But you're also still dealing with some other sin stuff right? It hasn't, like, disappeared because you hate that testament where everyone's like, well, I came to Christ and don't do drugs anymore. You know, maybe you still have the drug problem. But you're slowly growing out of that. You're being transformed. God is taking away, hopefully, those desires. And if you look at yourself 20 years ago versus now, I mean, you'll see some change, right? It's always slow and painful. But it's there. So so the work of maturity is, is Paul's aim. He wants to present everyone perfect in Christ, mature in Christ. Now what I need to say before going to the next point is the work of this is not just my work. It's actually your work too. It's all of our work to help each other mature in Christ. Colossians 3, we'll get to this in a I don't know, next year um, but in a few weeks. Uh, Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in order to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. That's all of us. Admonishing, encouraging, teaching with all wisdom to help us mature in Christ. That even this weird thing, we do this thing called singing, I always think it's kind of interesting, right? I mean, you don't go to work on Monday and just like, hey, I'm going to have a meeting. I'd like to open with Led Zeppelin. Um, it's kind of weird. But as you're singing together, what are you doing? You're actually encouraging one another. That's why I love sitting in the front. I can hear all your voices. You guys sing really well and loud and nice, by the way. Some of you, not all of you, but... But it's not about perfect pitch, right? It's about you're hearing these truths. That's why we want lots of good truth and, and and Bible on these songs, right? Because when we sing those together, we want to hear it together. We're singing it together. You're hearing these promises, again, that, that, that my hope rests in Christ and Christ alone. His righteousness, my, my solid rock, right? I want to hear these truths. I want to hear what Christ has done for me. I need to hear it. I, not just hear it in the Word, but also I need to sing it, right? As much as you may or may not like my preaching you're probably going to be singing the songs the rest of the week. Right? And The songs just get in you. I don't know. You know, I, Maybe I should sing my sermons. I don't know. I'm trying to think of some more edgy ways to get it in there. Point one. No, I, I won't do that. Um, I actually had a guy, a friend of mine, he, uh, in seminary, he, he went and preached at a church. And he actually was like, hey, the Lord led me to sing a solo in the middle of the sermon, and I just made fun of him for 15 years. Still do. I remember when you sang in your sermon. Uh, he was a good singer, but it was just weird. But it's the work of all of us together. Gospel leadership is also about a, and you've heard me say this in different ways, but it's about a Christ-centered message. It's about a Christ-centered message. Paul makes it just so clear for us and for me and for anyone that would be called to any kind of Christian leadership in any shape or size, Him we proclaim, verse 28, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Jesus was his message. Jesus was his life. I am crucified with Christ. No, longer I who live, but but there's nothing I want to know. Everything else, uh, uh, Joe shared that from Philippians 3. Everything else is rubbish to know Christ, to know his life, to know his death, to know his resurrection. That was Paul's message. That was the apostle's message. It's the message of the the New Testament, and and really it's just fulfilling what was all pointing to in the Old Testament. So the, the whole Bible itself is about Christ and these promises that are fulfilled by his life and his death and resurrection. That All the Old Testament promises, all the warnings, all the prophets are all pointing to he's coming, he's coming, he's going to make all things new, he's redeeming all things, he's coming, he's going to die, he's going to resurrect from the dead, he's renewing the whole universe, he's coming, he's coming, and then we see it in the person of Christ. And that was Paul's message. And remember, as I said earlier, he was just a steward of that. It was not his message. Paul did not come to those conclusions by reasoning it out or by human experience is because Jesus himself revealed all of this to him. And for the apostles, James and, and John and Peter, who continued the mission on and, and names we don't even know, is because they walked with Jesus. They heard his teaching. They saw the nails in his hands. They saw him resurrected from the dead and continued to pass along the faith to the next generation but the the message when we think about christian leadership is always about christ always it's him we proclaim because look what paul says here and it's him we proclaim warning everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in christ that's that woven into that proclamation is also the wisdom of god and how to live our lives in light of this good news And we see verses like that, and we just go, well, I mean, is there that much to know? I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, he came, he died, he ro- I believe that, I mean, can we move on? But it's all the implications of it, too. It's all of our theology and our doctrines and our teachings all spawned from the gospel of Jesus. So it's always coming back to this, and then going back and going. Well, what does this mean for Trinity? What does this mean for atonement? What does this, this mean for wrath? What does this mean for forgiveness? Right, that's all wrapped up in the world of the gospel, isn't it? Years ago, um, not to bring up old things that maybe people don't care about, but uh, if you remember the the Rob Bell controversy, I wrote a book um, about hell that was not very good, um, and. And so one of the the conversations that kept coming out about this book about hell, where he kind of didn't really believe in it and kind of did some exegetical gymnastics to kind of say other things, um, was I heard some really wise pastors just say, you know, when we have conversations about hell, you can't just talk about hell. (laughs) You have to talk about Christ. You have to talk about sin. You have to talk about wrath. You can't just take one domino and say, is there a hell or not? And what are the implications? You have to talk about all these other doctrines, all these other teachings, because they all fit together. You have to look at the gospel and go, well, what is is the cross saying? I mean, if Jesus had to die and he had to, you know, shed his blood and be abused and abandoned, experience the wrath of God, and be separated from God, it seems like you know, sin is kind of a big deal. That he's not just an example of love. That maybe we need something more than just a teacher or an example. It makes no sense if that's all he's doing. That he's enduring all of that just because we need a nice, you know, love story to, to inspire us, like Abraham Lincoln and all he did. No, we we need something else, we need something deeper. And Paul goes to those deep places because it's not that just he he proclaimed this generic Christ, but notice what he he kind of lands on in this text. Very, two specific things here. Breathtake. Oh my goodness, these We could spend eternity trying to understand. I don't even understand them that well. But to whom, 27, to to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Paul talks about being a Christian, he talks a lot about, about being in Christ, right? You've heard that language means you're a Christian, you're in Christ, you're trusting in Christ and his work for your salvation. His work for everything, basically. Which is beautiful. But here, he shifts it just a little bit, just enough to say, it's not only that we're in Christ, but that Christ is in you. The presence of Christ lives in his people. Now, why is that significant? Because what he's saying about these mysteries and the, and the things of old is that the Gentiles didn't have any clue about the Old Testament or about the Jewish faith or anything. And so for them, this is all new. This is like, I don't have any grounding. I don't know the scriptures. You know, where do we begin? And, and the thing that, that Paul kind of lands on, and it's also for old for Jewish people too, when they begin to hear this, it's this, this language of Christ in you, dwelling in us, something had changed. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. And so... To appropriate the presence of God, we had tabernacle and we had temple, right? So they had to go and do these sacrifices, and then God's presence would come, and and it was outside of them. It was God with them, outside of them, but, but it was not Christ in them yet, but then after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, now it's not just that we have to go to the temple and we have to go to, to the tabernacle because we don't anymore. That's done away. Thank you, Christ, for dying on the cross for us. No more bringing you know cow Betty in here, slotting her on the altar. No more you know birds. It'd just be messy in here, and you know, talk about hiring a janitorial staff. We'd have to have a lot of janitorial staff. A lot of blood shed. But now it's Christ in you. Now you are temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to the temple. The temple now comes and lives in us. Romans 5, Paul hits on this. Not Romans 5, Romans 8. Great chapter, by the way, if you didn't know that by now. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, tabernacle language, temple language, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ another way of talking about the Holy Spirit, does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, tabernacle temple, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you, tabernacle temple. So to be a believer in Christ is to have the Holy Spirit, to have the the temple of God, if you will, living in you, the Spirit of Christ. So everything the Holy Spirit does is shine a giant spotlight on the person and work of Christ constantly to say, he's done these things, it's real, he's alive, he is God, he is the maker, he is the redeemer, he has redeemed you. It's a deposit guarantee, as Paul will say again, and it hasn't fully come yet, but as you live your life on earth and all the temptations and all the trials and all the struggles, this presence of Christ is going to live and dwell in you the hope of glory. And that's the second piece. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now the hope of glory is a very encouraging word for Paul. Glory's not here yet. Is it? The finality is not here yet. The Spirit is a deposit guarantee of all the promises that are coming. You haven't fully realized it yet. Your salvation is not fully complete yet, but it's coming. See, glory and grace come together. Grace alone, faith alone. We come to Christ by trusting in Him. There's nothing we can add to it, but glory has not come yet. Where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more sorrow and where our bodies don't break down and there's no more injustices in the world. That hasn't come yet. That's coming, but that's why God gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can keep going on and we can have hope that this glory is coming. Amen? That like it is. Like, it doesn't matter what you're walking. It could be the worst thing that the humanity's ever seen. And Jesus goes, yep, I've been there too. I know what that's like. That's what's so amazing about the humanity of Jesus, that he can, he can relate to us. He knows our weakness. He knows, but he was without sin. He knows the abandonment. He knows the sorrow. He knows the suffering. He knows the temptations. He knows it full well. And he gives us his spirit to say, glory is coming. There's a gift that is coming. He says it a little bit that way. Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also obtain access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We rejoice in what? Hope of the glory of God hasn't come yet. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. We know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's a little gift, too, by the Spirit. I'm going to pour out the love of the Father because of Christ in your heart. Because His glory is coming. It's not there yet. But it's coming close. It's not too far away. Think about how generous God is in that. Right? Just think about our daughter passed away years ago, but she only lived four days. Like, what? Where's hope in that? Right. As a pastor, I know, man, there's just people walking through hard things. Like, where's the hope, Lord? And the little gift is, Ryan, don't use your eyes that you see as this is the whole picture yet. Try to imagine that one day all of that suffering and cancer and death is just going to go away. I'm going to make it all new. I'm going to redeem all of it. And there will be judgment. There will be all of that. But I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so that you can keep going on. And we can keep going on even with joy, even in the midst of our sorrow and our suffering. It kind of keeps us pointed forward, doesn't it? Kind of leaning forward to say, okay, this is difficult, but this isn't everything, right? Right? So, gospel leadership is about service to the word, service of the word and to God's people. It's about a Christ centered message. And let me just close with this. Gospel leadership is also about authenticity and validation. And the way that Paul, and I'll make that a little clearer, but the way Paul validates that ministry to say, is this real? Like, how do we know if we see it? Like, Like, in our lives, in the church, he validates it and gives authenticity to it by two two ways, two things. His afflictions and also fellowship with Christ and his resurrection power. Where do I get that? Well, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So he says, I'm I'm celebrating. There's joy in my sufferings. He's not just saying, now I'm suffering for your sake. He says, I'm rejoicing. That seems like an odd choice of words, doesn't it? Like, wait, 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 Paul, like, you're getting beaten. You're, you're in prison. Like, and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, what Paul is saying is not that somehow Christ's afflictions or suffering were not um, enough for him, or for the church. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that when people that have been uh, redeemed by this great Jesus, who who have been been brought from death to life, as they live their lives and affliction comes and suffering comes, it actually validates the good news of the message that they continue on. That that suffering is part of our lives with Christ, that Christ has suffered. Christ went through trouble and he said to the the disciples, you're going to have trouble too. There's going to be affliction too for my name's sake. That if you, if you live your life in any honest way, and again, I don't know what that always looks like in comfortable Western you know, America. I don't know, always. But, but if we, we genuinely love Christ and we're living that out and making Jesus our treasure and, we're, and, and, and through our lives, people are saying that he's better than anything else in our lives, there will be affliction, there will be suffering. God promises it time and time again. And Paul authenticates his ministry by the fact that here's this guy who wanted nothing to do with Christians, hated Christians, and now he's the one being persecuted for the sake of Christians and the gospel. I don't know how much authenticity that could be, but he's saying, like, if this is just a game and this doesn't mean anything and I'm in this for money or fame or something else, none of this would come my way. And that the road of the Christian life is often suffering. Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. Actually, let me go to Philippians 1 for the sake of time. Only let, 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to you or see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is addressed to the church. And not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is clear sign to them that they're destruction, but for your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That doesn't mean we have to go looking for it. You know, like, oh, I better stir up some affliction today, so I can validate my faith. But he's saying... In light of the gospel, in light of living a life worthy of the gospel, that we are if we're united as God's people, we would want to say that that we should be about what God's about, the Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection, making that known in our lives. Whatever that may look like. And I know we get all nervous and we're like, oh, geez, here's the evangelism talk. I'm not an evangelist. I'm introverted. You know, I just, I can't. But that's not what I'm saying. Because Paul will talk in other ways. He says, you know, if I'm living or I'm dying... I want Christ to be glorified in my life. So so how can you do that in your your marriage, in your relationships, in your parenting, in your job, in your time? How do you make Christ look really beautiful and your treasure in those things? I heard um, John Piper years ago, uh, he used to be a pastor, he's not a pastor anymore, but he does a Desiring God ministry, probably heard about him at some point. He had a great analogy. He said, we can't really make God uh, look better than he is because he's God. Um, He talks about the microscope and the telescope. I don't know if you heard this, but um, a microscope, from what I know, maybe Eric uh, can help me, um, is it takes small things and makes them bigger. Is that a good definition? Okay. Um, But a telescope takes small things that we can barely see and makes them massive, but they're already massive. Explodes them out. And so when we talk about making Christ look good in our lives, we're not adding anything to him. We're not trying to make him look better. We can't. But but everything in our life can point to the realities that he is great, and he is our master, and he is our Lord, and he is the one who gives me joy, and he's the reason I get up in the morning. So I think about, well, how do I make Christ look great in my life? And everything that I'm doing, like Paul would say, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be an elder. You don't need to be a missionary to make God look great in your life. And I bet, as we make Christ look great in our lives, what Peter said is people are going to be asking us about the hope that we have all the time. Like, what makes you tick, man? What's going on here? That doesn't mean every day. (laughs) It doesn't mean every week. It doesn't mean every other month. But we can make God look great in our lives and validate that the gospel is real. And then lastly, Paul just leaves us with what authentic, uh, uh, validates, I should say, is the fellowship that he has with God in Christ and his resurrection power. Did you see the the way he, he finishes here in 29? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. In Colossians 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul's going to say elsewhere that that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in you. So where does Paul's energy come from to keep going on? Christ. (laughs) The, The power of his resurrection, the Holy Spirit living in and through him. Clinging to Him. How do you keep going when there's temptation, there's affliction, there's I don't know about this, and then life's hard, and, and I, I, I don't know. How do I, how do I keep going? Christ, still the same answer. P- putting everything aside, everything is rubbish. Philippians 3, that doesn't that count, but I want to know His resurrection. I want to know His power living in me. The same power that Jesus rose from the dead is the same power that lives in me, and one day I'm going to raise to new life and have a new resurrected body, just like Jesus, that power lives in me? That's some serious power. When it's about Christ, that power is there for you every time. And again, don't hear me as, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an elder, I'm not an apostle. There are none anymore, big A. How, how do I live that out? When you want to glorify Christ in all things, the power's right there for you. He'll give you the energy to do it. When you're serving at New City Church, you just go, man, I'm just burned out. I'm tired. And I know that happens. You have to take breaks. I get it. But when it becomes about I do this because of Christ and I want Christ to be known, energy will come. I promise you. I've been a pastor for 15, 17 years in a variety of contexts. There's days I still don't know how I get through the day when there's hard seasons. But I can testify to the realities that when it's about Christ somehow, some way, by his grace, by his power, I get up every day and go, I can't believe I get to do this. Not every day, but a lot of days. It's him working in and through us. When you say, I'm going to glorify Christ in all things, in my parenting, in my job, in my all things, he will give you the grace and the power to do that. I promise you. With a lot of trips and a lot of falls on your face, a lot of crying out, a lot of pleading, a lot of, you know, repentance. I, I get that but he will give you what you need. He will. He will. To serve 20 neighbors on Saturday with food and to lead a city group, to start a ministry in the city, whatever it is, to to just be a, a Christian in the workplace when Christianity is not very welcomed. He'll give you the power and the grace that you need to live a life worthy of him when it's about Christ. And every week we uh, have the privilege of being reminded that we're weak, being reminded that we're sinful, being reminded that we don't always go to Christ, we don't always make it about Him. Any amens this week? But every week we're reminded by a simple meal of bread and cup that that Christ did everything we couldn't do for ourselves. And that's why He's our message. (laughs) That's why He's our center. That's why He's our joy. That he came and did what we couldn't do for ourselves. He came and died. He came out and poured his blood, represented by the cup, to atone for our sins. He broke his, his body so that we could have resurrection life with him. And that's a free gift of grace. You don't have to fix yourself up. Now, one of the things that, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 is that, that you know if there, there is sin in your life and there's things that relationships that need mending, God would encourage us to lay those before Christ, lay those before him before you come and take the supper, ask for forgiveness. He is faithful to forgive. That's not about earning your salvation, that's not about, but that's about renewing right relationship, uh, intimacy with God, that he wants us to be honest. He already knows already, so you might as well just be honest with him. But I also want to encourage you this morning, I know we talked a lot about Christ, but what, what are the things that we're, we're going to, what are the things that we are, are putting way too much stock in that is not of God? Let us just lay those before the Lord and be honest this morning if we can. pray the Holy Spirit would do that in us. And if you're not a believer in Christ, we just ask you to stay seated. We have some, some prayers uh, in the city life that we'd love for you to think on, reflect on. We've all been there. But it's kind of a family deal. So just please stay, stay seated. There'll be two uh, groups in the front. The way we do we break off the bread, we dip it in the cup, you'll see the lines come forward. If you have any kind of allergies, we have some gluten-free and um, allergy-free bread in the middle there if you need that. Let's pray. Lord... Um, How can we, how could I even do justice to this text this morning? When we begin to even grapple with what Christ has done for us. And God, forgive us when we make it about other things. Forgive us when we think there's some magic formula or sauce out there other than Christ that that can give us what we need as a church, as your people. Forgive us when we we look to everything else but you, God. That we don't look to our joy, our delight, our hope in you, God. Forgive us. And help us. Help us be a church that that are about these things. That that whether we're we're teaching kids the truth of the gospel, whether we're, we're, we're leading city groups, whether we're cleaning up the building, God, whatever we are doing, may it be about Christ. And then would you give us the energy and give us the power that you promised to us by your Holy Spirit? to serve well, to serve faithfully, to serve humbly, and to serve with joy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.